Hey, welcome to a new episode of Textual Healing. I'm your host, Mallory Smart. On today's show, I'll be interviewing Bart Shaneman. Bart is the author of the books The Silence is the Noise and The Green and Gold. Both are available on Trident Press. In this episode, we talk about how I definitely should not be a parent yet, interviewing musicians, what inspired his latest books, and of course, some of the music he listened to during the writing of his books, like Iron and Wine, Rilo Kiley, and Bright Eyes. Towards the end of this episode, he also gives a most excellent reading, so definitely stay tuned so you can check that out. I don't want to give away the entire show, so I think it's time to get to it. Hey, Valerie. Hey, what's up? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you fine. One second. I'm sending a text message to somebody. No worries. Okay, one second. And I'm good. Sorry. It's actually a music-related text, but I just messaged my boyfriend right away. I was like, oh my god, Jack Antonoff just released a new song and I don't know how to feel about it. Is this like his solo project or what? Yeah, it's in Bleachers, but I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this new album. So how you doing? I am, uh, I'm okay. I'm pretty tired. Like we just had a baby, so um, not sleeping very much, but uh, you know, it's like, it's a good tired. Like I'm on leave right now. I'm not working um, for another few, few, like another week or so, but I've been off for oh almost a month and how yeah, old I mean, is the baby uh yeah just about a month old <laughs> and she is she's good like you know like she cries a lot um and and then we put her to sleep and she sleeps a lot so it's like sleeping and crying pretty much is my my life right now sounds like a decent <laughs> life sort of you don't have to I mean, to it's work, good, right? Like, sort it's, of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I am going back to work on Fridays, and that, that is going to be a little bit of a shock, I think. I'm not sure if I'm ready for that, but... Um, I think that's yeah, how everyone's I mean, been. <laughs> yeah, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good, other than, like, still in this, like, I can't decide how I feel about it, this new song vibe. I'm just pretty chill. I woke up at like 6 a.m., which has just become my new normal, and I don't have to go to an office. I've just been doing that. Oh, just because you like it? Uh, No, I actually hate it. My body just like literally is like, the sun is up. Get your ass up. Right. Yeah. Right. Also, I blame my cat. I'm sure your baby like wakes you up at like mandatory times. Yeah, if it's not my baby, it's my dog. My dog also is probably similar to your cat. Like when the sun is up, my dog is up and ready and the most excited uh, for the day, like of anyone. Uh, and 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 he'll like he'll be super excited for like an hour and then just pretty much uh, take naps the rest of the day. Yep, that's almost exactly how my cat is. <laughs> she does this weird thing where she slowly peeks up at me from like beneath the bed and then she'll start meowing and then she'll be like, "Let's have some food." And then I'll feed her, and then she'll disappear for a couple hours. That actually sounds like the baby. Really? She's like, yeah, she's like, let's have some food, and then sleeps for a couple hours, if we're lucky. 
See, cats and babies are similar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Except, you know, one is just a little more bitchy. I think we know that's the cat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. We're in this, like, this early, like, kind of newborn phase. I don't know. She's just, she's so small. Like, her stomach is the size of a walnut. So, uh, you know, she's eating and, and, and then getting hungry almost immediately afterwards. And it doesn't uh, allow us to get a lot of rest. But, I mean, we knew what we were getting into. We knew what we signed up for. Yeah, that sounds about right. I don't think I could handle the challenge of kids yet. That's why I just play with my nieces and nephews instead. Yeah, I'm really glad that I waited till I was uh, a little bit older to do this. I, I mean, if I was just thinking, like, you know, my parents, like, my sister was born my dad was 22 and my mom was 20 and i was just like how how is that even mm. possible like i was such a mess when i was that old like, there's absolutely no way i could be doing this i am 30 years old and i still don't know what's age appropriate for children i'm just taking shots in the dark <laughs> right right yeah. yeah and then i mean i guess the other thing that you you learn is that uh you just figure it out and everyone uh, you know, has done this forever and uh, just kind of makes it work. So, you know, just keeping the baby alive is, is like the number one goal right now. Basically, my yeah. brother just had a baby and like he's taking it like 10 steps extra. He's only a couple years older than me. And I was just like, man, you're putting like way too much effort into the baby. And I don't know if that's just normal for our age range now, but like, the baby just learned to walk and they're trying to teach the baby yoga now. <laughs> and I was like, that yeah. is pretty goddamn fast. Like, yes, it's adorable that when you say llama stay, the baby tries to do yoga. Right. Right. And I say llama stay I mean, I because guess. that's I mean, a kid's that... book's name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you see like, I don't know. I was watching Instagram videos the other day of this like uh, kid that was a uh, like doing fl- like backflips as a gymnast when he was three years old too and yeah I don't know my kids probably won't be doing that I, I think I'll probably you know focus on the the reading and you know that part of things the language part of things but um, yeah I'm not you know make my daughter into like uh, a world champion ballerina when she's three years old. Oh, God, that's so, like, demanding, too. I I have, like, a million different friends who all have babies and all have different strategies with it, and I have some people who are like that who are be like, oh, they're going to be into football their whole lives, or I'm going to teach them ice skating really early, and I'm just like, geez, like, let yeah. the kid be a kid. Or let the kid decide what it wants to do. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. what if it hates it? Like, I mean, like, there's a... Uh... Who knows? Who knows what your kid's going to want to do? I mean, my boyfriend and I have basically come to the conclusion that whenever we have kids, they could choose whatever the hell they want to do. If they choose to do, like, football or cheerleading shit, yes, we'll be very confused as to how to deal with that. (laughs) But we'll cheer our child on. But, yeah, Yeah. kids sound weird. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we're we're all just going to kind of take it as it comes, I think. I, I... there are certain things that I probably will steer my daughter away from. Like, I mean, there are, you know, that's kind of your role, I think, as a parent is to try to protect your kid from making bad choices. But, you know, also 
let them kind of follow what they want to do, at least when they're kids. Yeah, keep them off of TikTok, maybe. There's some weird <laughs> shit happening there. If she ever grows up to be an adult and brings, like, a Pete Davidson guy home, I say get rid of that shit right away, too. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to have a conversation about that at some point. But that's the thing. Like, you can't, I mean, at least I know how I was when I was a teenager. Like, my parents told me not to do something. That was the thing that I wanted to do more than anything. So, you know, you have to be you have to be smart about how you, uh, you know, set boundaries and rules, I think. See, my parents were very big into, like, the reverse psychology thing, but the issue is it didn't work. Like, I remember once my brother got trashed on whiskey, and my dad was like, oh, you want to drink whiskey like an adult? So then he pulled out a big thing of whiskey. He's like, we'll go glass for glass, only to learn that my brother was, like, a way better drinker than him. (laughs) And probably young enough that, like, the hangover wasn't going to be that bad. Yeah, he was, like, 16, (laughs) And like, That's a, yeah, I don't know if that's going to work, but, but I do think that there probably is some truth in like, you know, trying to keep your kid from, you know, rebelling against you just because, you know, that's how they form their identity or whatever. But I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess I'll have to, I'm still, you know, we're just right now just like, wow, we had this baby. She came like three weeks early, which is a, a little bit of a surprise. Um, we were pretty much ready, but yeah, it was just like, oh, you know, I was like downstairs doing some writing before work, and my wife came down and was like, uh, we got to go to the hospital. My water just broke, so this is happening. And yeah, it was quite a day. Um, but no, it's, it, yeah, I, I, you know, people give me all kinds of advice, and that's one thing that you learn when you become a parent is that every other parent that you're friends with or if that's in your family will have some words of wisdom for you and some of them you take and some of them you don't but um and sometimes just like complete strangers will just oh, yeah. throw some <laughs> advice at you <laughs> yeah so definitely like um you know women of a certain age are very keen on uh you know seeing our baby uh, you know that we'll be walking around the park with a stroller and maybe she's making noises or whatever and you know from the from the stroller and women will come up to us and be like can can, can i see your baby I'm like so sure creepy though I, I i don't know i guess i get it i mean it, that's an exciting thing like you know it's a new life that has just been brought into the world and i think that makes people feel good so yeah, and I mean, we need happiness now, but I am curious. I was always wanting to know how people handled this, but I just never asked my siblings. With new babies, especially it being COVID times, are you a little bit more careful with, like, letting people touch the baby? I mean, we haven't let anyone touch the baby. Like, I still, <laughs> I don't know if it, even if it was not COVID times, I probably would be like, uh, have you washed your hands? <laughs> but, um, no, I don't know. Like, uh, you know, they're... Uh, you probably saw this, but like um, a few months ago when people started getting vaccinated, then a lot of uh, pregnant women were, especially like, you know, nurses and doctors who were pregnant were like, yeah, give me the vaccine. I I don't want to get COVID while I'm pregnant. And then they had their babies and then they tested the babies for antibodies and they actually were vaccinated as well. So we haven't actually, yeah, we haven't actually had her, uh, tested for antibodies but we could and 
I'm assuming that either she's getting, you know, antibodies through, uh, you know, she got antibodies while my wife had her, uh, you know, when she was in the womb, but also now that my wife is breastfeeding, she's also passing on antibodies that way too. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's actually really cool because I mean, I don't, I don't think a lot of babies have had severe, um, COVID issues, but just, it makes me feel good knowing that she's basically been vaccinated because we were vaccinated. Yeah. I feel like it'd be like headline news suddenly if like babies are being weirdly affected by the vaccines. <laughs> oh my God. I know. It's like one more horrible thing that's happened in the last year. Like there are like maybe possibly like cool Marvel like side effects that they can have, or they could just like totally have weird birth like defects, but I'd hope for the Marvel thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me yeah. too. Hey, your kid still could be. She could be bitten by a radioactive spider. I don't know. See, this is why I'm not a parent yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm in favor of uh, babies getting superpowers as long as they're using their superpowers for good. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, they might just want to sign up to be in a Marvel movie and say, hey, I actually have the powers. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And let them just do the CGI around him, whatever. Basically. I mean, that seems to be the main thing that kids do right now. I haven't found another big movie or TV thing that they watch other than that annoying baby shark thing. Yeah, right? Like, my my baby's actually, you know, still young enough that we're not watching baby, uh, you know, kids' TV programs or anything like that at this at this point, but I do anticipate a lot of, you know, Disney Plus and Sesame Street and things like that in my near future. Yeah, that that, that sounds lovely. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm going to mind, really. You know, I, I'm looking forward to, like, uh, introducing her to, you know, the whole Japanese anime canon and, mm. you know, all of the great uh, Pixar movies. You know, I like that kind of stuff. That's going to be fun. That's going to be, like, the... the fun parenting stuff yeah i mean i feel like if i had a kid i'd go for the pixar movies way more than the like the regular disney cartoons because a lot of those ended up having some really messed up messages <laughs> yeah yeah like for i'm sure. just thinking dumbo right now and the crow named jim <laughs> and it's like yeah that's yeah. i'm not passing that one down to my kids <laughs> no no yeah that the, the I mean, that kind of stuff is going to be, I think, really exciting, I think. Like, just, yeah, everyone always says the same thing, but, like, you get to be a kid again. Oh, hell yeah. As I said, that's why I like hanging out with my nieces and nephews, so I have all the fun, but none of the responsibility. Yeah, my my parents, when they first met their granddaughter, were very excited, I think, for that same reason. They're like, oh, we'll get to hold her, and then when she starts crying or whatever, we'll give her to you. Exactly. Like, also, I let my older nieces watch scary movies with me, and then they go home and have nightmares, and that's not my fault. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, that, that's what you get to do when you're an aunt or an uncle, you know? Yeah, you I don't mean, have to deal with like, any consequences. They're in high school, so I'm just like, they chose this. Like, I didn't make them watch a scary movie. They opted for it. I just don't have the judgment to say, maybe you're too young. Right. Right, right. So how do you have the time to write? 
while you're dealing with all that? Or are you just done writing for a while? This morning, I actually did write for like an hour. Um, my wife is upstairs uh, sleeping a little bit, and she just fed the baby, and then I had the baby downstairs. Like in a, We have like a little bouncy chair that she really likes. And yeah, she was kind of out for long enough that I could maybe write like three pages and it felt pretty good. Uh, I'm hoping that I can keep doing that, you know, like at least get an hour or so. Beginning of the day or at the end. Uh, and like, I don't know, a lot of people say that once the, the baby gets to be four or five months old, she'll go to bed really early, like at seven o'clock or seven thirty or something like that. And then we'll have, have a couple hours at the end of the day. Um, I don't know, maybe I'll just be completely exhausted and want to just like sit in front of the TV, but I'm hoping that I can, you know, stay disciplined enough to write a little bit when I have that downtime. Mm -hmm. So what are you working on right now? Or are you mainly just publicizing, like really promoting the new book? Um, no, I'm always working on something. I have two short stories that I'm working on right now that I'm revising and then a longer novel that's set in modern times in Denver, um, kind of draws on my job, my job right now working as a reporter writing about the marijuana industry. Um, so yeah, so those three things, like just going through rounds and rounds of revision until I'm, happy or at least until I don't think I can do anything more to improve the, the pieces. But yeah, I, I kind of always have a couple of stories on the back burner and then like one longer project that I'm, that I'm always working on. Mm -hmm. So the Trident book is, uh, the green and the gold. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. How far yeah. are you into that? Like the process of like promoting it? When does it come out? Oh, so yeah, pre-orders are going to uh, start on May 20th and well, that's in two days. And the book is actually going to be available uh, May 27th, I think is the, the plan. Um, yeah, just doing any press that I can right now. And um, I'm guessing now that things are opening back up that Nate, Nate Perkins, the, the publisher um, of Trident, I think that he's going to probably put together some kind of reading and I don't know if it'll actually be at the Trident bookstore in Boulder or if we're going to be doing something here in Denver. Um, we haven't really finalized anything on that yet because obviously like we didn't know that all of a sudden the CDC was going to make an announcement saying you don't have to wear your masks if you're vaccinated. So um, but yeah, Nate just moved down to Denver from Boulder and he lives really close to a, a great uh, bookstore coffee shop called Mutiny um so maybe we'll do a reading there i don't know Ooh, i've been to that one yeah yeah it's a good it's a great space we uh, used to do readings at a literary fest called catch fest and they took place in denver and nate would come and we would just yeah, kind of do like the readings we met over. there we uh we were at that i was at that show at that uh back you were there? Was that two years ago? Oh, shit. I was Did there. I, I was you? there. Uh, I met you and Nick and... Um, Damn, I hate it when that happens. What's the other guy's... 
What's the other guy's name at uh, Maudlin House? Blent? Is that yeah. how you say his name? He's my boyfriend. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, we we went to um, to True to the heavy metal brewery after the reading and had beers. Yeah, the few of us who um, aren't from that area, we just call it Death Metal Bar because we never took right. the time to learn the name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the only time I'd been there, but I think that was Nick's place. Like, he had been to Denver before, and he was like, yeah, let's go. And this is Nick Gregorio, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, he was like, yeah, let's uh, let's go drink some beer and listen to some death metal. And I was like, that sounds like something I don't do every day, so why not? Yeah, we went the year prior, and I don't know what caused it. It was like, it was just right across the street from where we had witnessed one reading. And I just looked at all the other Malden house people. And I was like, who wants to get drunk before our reading? <laughs> and like <laughs> all of the authors from Malden house were like, yeah, we yes. need to. And that's when we went there. <laughs> of yeah. Shockingly enough, our reading went pretty damn well. Although we all did a lot of shots beforehand. Yeah. It's a, it, you know, it can go either way, right? Like it can, it can go great or it can be a train wreck. I was shocked that like as the editor who was kind of like hosting it, that I was still able to keep it going. Cause like earlier that day I had gotten a tattoo. I had smoked a lot of weed and then I got really drunk at metal bar. And then I was like, okay, come on guys. I'm going to host the show. So there you go. Oh, you're ready. Yeah, yeah. That's just what you needed to do. It was just like, I like looking back at those videos and being like, I was terrified to do it. But then you look at it and you're like, no, I looked fine. I looked fully confident. Right. Yeah. And you have to think that like most people in the audience are like, you know, they'd rather you be doing the poem. A little bit of leeway. Mm-hmm. So, God, I'm trying to think like, what other stuff like did i see you in other like portions of the catch fest thing or just at the backyard thing just the backyard thing i think uh, you know uh i had just put out a novella with trident called the silence of the noise and nate read and i read and i'm trying to think if there was anyone else that read with trident but we were like representing the press yeah, um, we represented Malden House with you guys. Right. I think, what is it? Um, Nate and I decided to call our reading Burn Down All Human Cities. Right, right. Yep, that was it. Yeah. That was a fun experience, too, because um, I just barely gave anyone an introduction that time. Where I was just like, yo, we're from Malden House. Um, authors are going to recite and they're going to introduce themselves. Have fun. I think that works great. I think, you know, talking too much, like people aren't there to hear your whole life story. They just want you to read and, and, uh, you know, hear what you've written. So yeah, like short introductions, no apologies, just launch right into the, to the actual meat of the reading. I think that's, uh, that's a good strategy. I like that strategy. I definitely prefer it. I just even said, I was like, I don't want to keep talking up here, so I'm done. Right, right. Yeah, and then there was like somebody mowing the lawn in the yard next door while people were reading. I think maybe while Nick was reading, there was like a guy mowing the lawn, I'll which was look back just kind of added added to the atmosphere a little bit. It was fun doing like weird events like that. I don't hear of people doing them anymore. 
they're coming back, I'm sure, right? Like that was just because people have been locked locked down. Like if it doesn't happen there, then we're just going to start it here in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would be a great place for it. We'll I hold love like Chicago. A reading on our roof or something. Yeah, you guys have all those great parks. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, we'll just take over Wicker Park, if need be. <laughs> We're all hipstery enough. We can blend. Yeah, I went to a music festival in Chicago in, God, it must have been 2006. It was the first year of the Pitchfork Festival. I think mm. it was in Grant, Grant Park. It was then. Um, now they have Lollapalooza in Grant Park. Yeah, yeah. That was That was fun. That was... Like the Silver Jews headlined it. Mm -hmm. R.I.P. David Berman. Like it was, yeah, that was a lot of fun. I love Chicago in the summer. It's such a fun city. It is. It's shocking. Our lake is still incredibly cold, <laughs> even if it's like a hundred degree day. Like everyone will be on the beach, but no one will really go in the water because we know it's still like thirty degrees. You don't you don't need that though, like when it's a uh, hundred degrees and super humid in July in Chicago. Yeah, I guess it's really like you could dip your feet into it and then re run really quickly back out into the heat. <laughs> okay, all right. For me, I kind of avoid it. Like I just will go a little bit, like where I'm standing in it, and that's actually because I don't know how to swim, which is sad. I know. I think it's uh, yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people. In, especially in this this part of America, that just yeah, they just never learned how to swim. Didn't need to. I took like swimming lessons like once when I was a kid, and I remember going back to my mom and being like, "I never want to do that shit again." <laughs> like yeah, like the like terrifying jump, class. jump off the high dive. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't do it. I was just like, this takes way too much effort. There's an area in the pool where you don't have to actually swim. Don't make me go further in, please. Right. Yeah. I hated when I became an adult. Everyone's like, let's go to the adult section where they're still tall enough to uh, stand up there. But I'm five feet tall. <laughs> so I can't. Yeah. That, I, I haven't been to like a public swimming pool in so long. Like, I think basically since like I you know, graduated high school. I don't think I've been to a, like a, an actual, like, you know, in the deep end of a, of a real like city public pool. People still do that. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, you definitely get kids going there, but for us, we had a pool at our old apartment building. So mm. that's where we definitely tried it out. And honestly, it's like, I don't know. They're so, I don't trust it. If there are kids that live in the building, like, I don't know, like, they pee in the pool. You just know it. For sure. Definitely. I mean, you were a kid. I was a kid. I knew what I did. I know. It's one of those, like, I see a little kid in there. If you see them kind of, like, hesitating or staring off into space a bit, you're like, I know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, right. They're, like, standing off by themselves, like, just kind of looking up. And, yeah, yeah, like, a little bit, like, maybe six feet apart from the other kids. <laughs> Yeah. Teach your daughter not to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's probably going to be a hard one, but I'll try. Just be like, it's all right to leave the pool and go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. 
our generation is like severely traumatized from those pool experiences i'm sure yeah yeah How i always heard you, that by like the way? uh 40 okay not far off so i don't know i'm like either almost a millennial like or gen x or uh on the cusp or whatever but you're like that micro generation xennials oh i didn't know that that was a term i just yeah. learned something thank you suddenly they came up with and it's funny i think everybody hates millennials but then suddenly gen x and gen z are like no there are also xennials and zennials and i was like you guys want to be part of our club so badly <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know i mean i feel like i have you know like uh, uh one foot in both generations i guess in a way because right like grew up without the internet had the internet when i was 15 so yeah did i don't know what a... like once you get to go ahead no i was gonna ask like did you do any of the social media like the early days of it yeah no i mean myspace um for a little while um and i'm but, imagining yeah. you actually were a college student when facebook came out weren't you uh let's no i think that came out after i think because i actually i resisted getting it like i had a myspace page for a couple of years and then i deleted everything and then i didn't have social media until like i don't know like 2010 or something and yeah i was just like I didn't even, I didn't have a smart, like I tried to resist getting a smartphone forever. And, um, I was in Korea. So at the time, like it didn't really matter. Like it didn't affect me socially because I wasn't participating in social media or anything. I was just off in Asia doing weird shit on my own. And so I didn't have to like participate in American society. And yeah. And then I finally got a, a smartphone and, signed up for the social media sites and then i still wish i never had (laughs) what is it with your generation and backing away from social media like i understand like our generation finally is like we need to do it in healthy doses but everybody i know 40 and up are like "Mm, we need to go back to the flip phones (laughs) well because if you know what life was like before you were you know checking your feeds all the time like it it was better yeah, I mean, I see the difference is that I was like eight years old when we finally got the internet. So we were still the bridge generation, but we learned the internet from a very young age. Yeah. So I think we definitely got sucked in. Like, I remember Zanga being a thing that was like MySpace, but weirder because you're anonymous and everybody could talk shit to each other and no one would know who you were. And then MySpace, which is actually terrible with the top eight friends. <laughs> right and it would rotate and like you you check one of your friends page and you were no longer in the top eight and you were like fuck like what did i do like how do i get back in the top eight yeah no, it, was it was so passive was aggressive i loved it yeah. <laughs> especially yeah. as a girl you know what we definitely did it in a bitchy way where we're like you know we're just gonna see if she notices that she's off my top eight <laughs> yeah the music thing was cool like the the way that you know you could go to someone's page and they would have a song that would play like that was fun. Like I learned, like I, I, you know, we, like me and my friends, like turned each other onto a lot of different music that way. But what kind of music were you into then? Oh, okay, so this was like probably two thousand 
four, I guess. Um, so like the early aughts, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. No, it was. Um, it was. It was when like that genre of indie rock was first kind of becoming. Um, you know, like starting to, to, to form, like there was a lot of, um, sub pop bands, you know, like, would you um, say pop punk or like the stuff that became under the weird umbrella of alternative rock? Not n- n- neither of those, but, but what if now what they would just call kind of indie rock, right? Like, so like arcade fire, like that first arcade fire record funeral, um which was like just incredible and and so fun to listen to and exciting and good lyrics and i mean the 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 songs were well written i I don't know like that i mean death cab when death cab was um still like very kind of underground and you know i like go to these shows so this is I was starting to go to shows at, at like one of a couple of the underground clubs in Omaha when I was going to school in University of Nebraska in Lincoln, and like there was the Saddle Creek bands were starting to to start to you know get well known. This is like 2001 and 2002, and this is Bright Eyes and Cursive and The Faint, mm-hmm. um, all these bands from Nebraska that uh, were getting like national recognition, like. I don't know, it was maybe 2002 or 2003 when Bright Eyes was um, on the front page of the New York Times as album of the year for, for Lifted. And it was it was great because it was like really exciting to to be in Nebraska and to be going to these shows. Uh, and there was like a real scene for, for a little while in Omaha. Um, it's so hard for me to imagine nebraska having like a scene but then i've only driven through it a bunch of times i've never really stopped yeah i mean there there were articles about people moving to omaha from all over the country just to be part of this thing and it was not quite that uh coalesced where you could like you know walk down the street and you were going to see people that were in these bands but but they were playing shows and they were getting popular and they were getting, you know, national attention. And, and we were, you know, going to, going to shows and like, uh, you know, we get, we get these last minute phone calls be like, okay, so bright eyes is playing a show at the underground. It's so cool. Uh, in Omaha, um, tonight, like no, no concert announcement, like no, no calendar wasn't, in the press or anything it was just like you know friends of friends knew about it and we would go and you know connor oberst was writing protest songs at the time it was like what when we were going to to war in iraq and like it was it was great i mean we were college kids and felt like we were you know in in a moment that was kind of culturally important and i mean who knows if it ever really was but it felt that way Mm-hmm. I feel for my generation, those were all pretty big bands, but I guess they definitely were more established at that point. Because I would be it, it around would, that age, like, yeah. you know, like 2010, maybe. Okay, yeah, no, this is this is when they were just starting. And, and 
See, and like, so the, you're yeah, so like the proto hipster of that music. <laughs> I mean, it kind of was, and it was cool because it kind of got me because it was this local thing. I mean, like a lot of my my friends were listening to, um, you know, more like like alternative rock, like you said, like that that kind of music. Um, but then, like once once I started kind of going, you know, towards like the Saddle Creek bands, then. I just got exposed to so much more music and like uh, it opened up this whole kind of, you know, underground, um, you know, like these, all these independent small labels like merge and, and sub pop and matador. I mean, all these different record record labels. And, and, and then I was also writing about music too. Like I, I was uh, an arts writer for my college newspaper at the time. And then when I moved to San Diego, after college, I was writing for a couple of like local alt weeklies there, just writing about music, and so I get like CDs sent to my house and mm-hmm. uh, and and write like little record reviews and stuff. And so yeah, I, was, I mean at, at that time, like did you I was get to choose to a lot. like what kind of music you wrote about, or did they just throw you anything? No, it was more like we pitched what what uh, albums we wanted to review or what bands we wanted to interview. Um, sometimes we would be assigned, uh, you know, artist interviews or whatever, but a lot of times it was, I, I think that the, a, a smart editor at a, like an alt weekly is, is aware that like you're going to write better about music that you're already kind of into in a way mm-hmm. and you understand. And yeah, so that's what, that's what I was doing. Um, you know, I had a, a, a newspaper job, but I also was, freelancing at night and and writing this novel that that uh we're putting out in a week um but yeah listening to a lot of uh of you know that that era of of kind of small record label independent music from america and and it was really exciting because there were all these new things that were coming out all the time and then i would just since i was freelancing i was able to like talk to a lot of these artists and I think I, I learned a lot about making art, about writing by interviewing these musicians and talking to them about their process and and just kind of like where they got their ideas and where their aesthetic came from. Mm-hmm. See, that's why I like talking to uh, authors and everything too, because it's the same vibe. I like to know where they got their style and aesthetic from. And it feels like nine times out of 10, it's from music that they were heavily introduced to. Yeah, I think especially at that age for me, like I didn't really know um, that much about myself. I didn't really know. I didn't have a. I didn't have a worldview when I was twenty three. Like I didn't. I didn't have much perspective on anything, but I could get a lot of ideas and a lot of emotion from the music I was listening to, and then you know use that as a way to um, kind of just you know write to that. Like I would listen to music and and write and and a lot of what I was writing, I think a lot of the scenes that I was writing in that, that first novel, um, they were, you know, in, in a way, uh, like prose versions of these songs that I liked and maybe not, not directly like, and, or not that intentionally, but at least the feeling was there, you know? Do you write while listening to music or beforehand? Uh, definitely both. Um, 
but also sometimes I don't listen to music either. I mean, it's, it just kind of depends on how I feel and, and like how, how I, how well I can focus. I have a playlist of writing songs that I listen to sometimes that get me centered. Like, you know, if, if, if I've had a, a day where it was a lot of crazy shit happening, it was stressful. I had a lot on my mind to sit down to a writing pl- playlist and, you know, go back to these songs that I've listened to every day. It, it's almost like a, uh, like a meditative thing um, where it, it kind of just puts me in the headspace where I'm like, okay, I'm going to listen to this playlist and forget about everything else that's been happening today and just focus on, you know, putting words down. Mm-hmm. How would that playlist differ from the one that you just sent me a couple weeks ago? Or was it a couple months ago? Jeez, it's been so long. <laughs> it was about a, about a month ago, yeah. Or, or maybe a little longer. But yeah, um, so the playlist that I sent you, so the first half of that playlist are songs that I listen to now. Um, there's like a bunch of... I dig of, the Rilo Kiley. So that, so yeah, so that second half, that Rilo Kylie song that's on that second half of the playlist, that was the kind of music that I was listening to when I wrote this book um, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, like Rilo Kylie was all connected to the Saddle Creek thing. Um, you know, they were playing on each other's records, like Jenny Lewis was singing on Bright Eyes records, and they were they were all part of that same scene. Um, but but yeah, like the the music that I listen to now, whenever I is maybe less lyric intensive. I mean, it still has singing, but like it's not like I couldn't listen to um, you know Jenny Lewis and write at the same time. Uh, now I, I just think that you know like I'm going to be listening to what she's saying, and that makes it hard to you know create your own sentences when you're listening to someone else talk or sing. So are you going for more like instrumental stuff? Yes. Yeah. Or, or like, uh, you know, people that are singing that their lyrics maybe aren't the main feature of why I like the music. Um, but yeah, instrumental stuff is great. Like on that playlist I sent you, there's like, you know, these bad, bad, not good songs and, and Cataronda and like, I mean, all these, um, you know, like Flying Lotus, like amazing instrumental musicians that are that are making music right now that like they can really put you in a, a good flow state, which is what I'm trying to achieve with my playlist is, you know, to find music that not only like is, I guess, inspiring to me in a way lyrically or or just, you know, because I like the way it sounds, but also music that have kind of put me in a in a, in a focused flowing, um, you know, just emotional state. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Kind of like a trance. Like I, I get that too. Yeah. Cause if you can do that, I mean, if you can, if you can create that flow state and that flow state, I mean, that's like such a buzz weird <laughs> word right now, a term right now, but if you can create that, like where you can feel like you're not distracted by anything and you're just focused on, on what you're writing that's it's so helpful for especially for first drafts when for me at least like the hardest thing is is getting the first draft done and like getting that that you know just 
kind of carving out that first um, rough story. And, and then once you have that, then, you know, you can go back and revise as much as you want. And, and the revision part is not nearly as hard. And I, I also don't listen to music that much when I'm revising because in revision, like you really need to be listening to your inner voice about, you know, whether you think this is good or bad or, um, what needs fixed or how to improve the word choices. And, and, you know, in revision, you need to be listening to the sound of your own words. Yeah. You kind of have to like step outside of yourself for a little bit and read it how someone else would read it. Right. Right. And, and if you're listening to music, that makes it a little bit harder to hear yourself, at least for me. Um, but in that, that initial first draft stage, like you, if you are listening to yourself too much, you almost never get anything done because you're, at least for me, like I'm always self-editing and then it's impossible to get into that flow state where you're actually, you know, putting out a lot of words and, and music helps with that for me. Yeah, I definitely vibe you there for your playlist that you sent. It was, uh, on YouTube. Do you not do like Spotify? I do Apple music. I've had an iPhone for 10 years. I'm, um, a slave to the Apple ecosystem. See, I'm so, a slave to all things Apple except for Apple Music. I haven't tried it. Like, what are the benefits? I don't know. Uh, I <laughs> I just have always had it, and I think it's the same amount of money per month as a Spotify premium playlist. And it just that's how my music has always been saved, all of my playlists and everything. Because I yeah, I don't have an uh, uh, Apple computer anymore, but. I always did and for a long time. And so all my music was on there and then, yeah, now, now it's just all in, in my phone the same way, but that's why I sent you the YouTube one. Cause I figured most people, like you can't assume that most people are using Apple music cause most people aren't, but you had access to it through YouTube. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say like on Apple, do you kind of like do self tailored playlist or do you get algorithm based playlists or both? I create my own, yeah, mostly. I mean, they're, they're, like they do some kind of cool stuff. Like you know, there'll be a new music playlist with, um, you know, bands that I've already probably added to my library. And then, do you title any of the playlists you make anything weird? <laughs> no, no, no. Mine are really my my titles are really boring. Like my my writing playlist is is writing playlist. Really. Okay, that is kind of lame. I've Wait, heard... do you? Do you? Oh, yeah. Like, do you? Yeah, like, give me an example. Um, one is Sad Boy FM. <laughs> um, one is Number One Songs in Heaven. One is Kids Bop, but it's not actually Kids Bop. It's just music that's family approved that I could play in front of the kids. All right, all right. Have a hype music playlist. I mean, I have weird names. Yeah, maybe I should be uh, a little more creative with how I uh, title my playlist. I mean, I have like I have a playlist for the gym. I have a playlist for writing. I have a playlist for when people like like a, a cocktail hour kind of playlist. Yeah, and they're all they're all just titled like what I use them for, I guess. I have a sister who does um, when we all drink wine together, so it's kind of like a cocktail hour. But sure, she plays something called Ho Anthems when we hang out and drink wine and everything together. So kind of like your cocktail hour. We actually listen to her playlist, which is called Ho Anthems. So <laughs> nice, yeah, that's great. 
Yeah, she's the older sibling, like the oldest. She's like 44, 45. So you think it wouldn't be Ho Anthems, but you know, that's how we are in this family. <laughs> I like it. Like, I, you're the only one I've spoken to now who doesn't have weird playlist names. I know. I, I feel like it's a personal failing of mine. I'm, I think I'm developing a complex while we're talking. Well, if you ever come up with a cool one, let me know. Okay. All right. Will do. So what up is new with your book? You know, tell me more about it. Oh, yeah. Just uh, this is this this thing that I wrote in um, 2004 and 2005. And, you know, if people buy it, whatever, there's a there's a great uh, kind of explanation of like how this whole thing um, was really close to getting published by a major publisher at one point and uh it all kind of fell apart but adam gennady who's you know probably my oldest writing friend who i've known forever who i loved dearly uh he wrote a foreword for it and explains kind of um in in the foreword like what happened or didn't happen with this book when i was um you know really eager to become a novelist when i was yeah uh my early 20s i don't want to give too much away but people should should read it but yeah the the book is it's a coming of age story um set in nebraska um kind of um when you say coming of age do you mean like teenage coming of age early 20s coming of age people have been using that word like loosely lately (laughs) right right well yeah i mean it's just it's the the main character is 19 and i mean it, okay. it's it's about uh you know just kind of that that time in your life when you're that age when like everything seems so dramatic and tough and you don't know really if like what you you know what your place in the world is and um you, know, you make some interesting choices but yeah the I, i'm just i'm really really pleased that it it's finally getting published. I'm, I'm so thankful that Nate Perkins was able to put it together and, um, and put it out. Like, I, I, I think it's got a really nice cover. I think the book looks great. Um, so yeah. Uh, Can you tell but, the background of the title? Why'd you call it that? So if you're driving around in, in the Midwest, especially in farm country in, especially in, about now, like in in spring um you'll you'll always see these this thing where you'll have um like fallow cornfields or like cornfields that have been um combined and there are still just like the 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 stocks the the combine stocks that are still in the field um a lot of times used for uh feeding cattle until the grasses in the pastures is, is long enough that you can turn cattle back onto the, onto the pastures. But, um, and in my part of Nebraska, anyway, a lot of times the, the cornfields will be, uh, right next to a, a wheat field because of crop rotation. And, and the wheat at this time of year too is just turning green and just starting to grow. And I always found like these blocks of color, like you would see these green wheat fields, next to these yellow kind of gold colored um, fields of of corn stalks. I always found those two blocks of color to be really 
um, just together, like making this kind of beautiful juxtaposition. And also in the, the book, at the time I was really um, interested in the paintings of Mark Rothko and his um, arrangement of blocks of color as well. Mm-hmm. And there is a painter in in part of the story and um that the paintings are 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 symbolic in a way of certain things that uh the main character sees in relation to to the painter in the story so um that's where the title comes from is these these blocks of of green fields and and these blocks of gold fields that you'll see if you're uh in Nebraska at the right time. I like that. That's very poetic. What, what is like the right time? Like, is it like golden hour or? No, no, I just mean right time of year. So like, okay. so, so yeah. So in the spring, mostly. Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay. I'm going to ask you one last question before I sure. ask you to read from the book. Sure. Sure. Um, have you seen Into the Wild? Uh, yes, I have. I've read the book as well. Something I really dig about the movie is it did a really good job of adapting the book. I liked that Eddie Vedder basically did the entire soundtrack. (laughs) Yeah. What musician would do the entire soundtrack of your book? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, as far as, as, you know, Nebraska artists go, um, people that actually understand this, like the, the, the place itself, I would have to say it would be, be Connor Oberst who was able to write about Nebraska very well, especially in Lifted, that album. Um, and also the way that this story is kind of an adolescent story. It's kind of fraught. There's relationship drama, emotions, that kind of thing. And, I think, uh, yeah, no, I think, I think, uh, at least it, one or two of the songs from lifted would be good. Um, uh, you know, backing music for this, for this story. If this story was turned into a movie. Yeah. I was going to say he definitely has the right voice and the right sound. I could vibe that. Oh, I'd be, I'd be honored. Well, he's slowly making stuff again. Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, if you're listening to this. Yeah, let's try and drag some actual, like, hardcore musicians into this, please. (laughs) Okay, so what section do you want to read? Oh, I'll just read from the beginning. Um, I'll read, like, the first, uh, like, four pages. Okay. Does that work? Yeah, totally. Okay. All right, do you want me to go? Oh, yeah. Okay, all right. So this is from the beginning of The Green and the Gold. Uh, The house shrank during the short time I was gone. It seemed now we kept the curtains drawn, closed the windows, and never went outside. It was hard to sleep, but harder to feel alive. I moved like an echo through the house, the hollow, empty reverberation of a once bolder sound. Dad and I spoke when there was no other choice. He used direct and informal language and spoke without looking. Mom and I got along better. She was compassionate still the only way she could ever be. But there was no happiness in her voice. They were disappointed in me, and I tried not to get in their way. On a Saturday morning, he came 
moving to my room without knocking, turning on my light, then walking out of my room, leaving the door open. After I dressed on the table, the coffee and rolls were cold, so I poured milk over sugar and cereal. A dull malaise remained behind my eyes, and I stared across the table at the newspaper on the other end. We lived on Lake Minotaur, about 10 miles from Scott's Bluff. It was a man-made lake and the biggest one in the area. They were all about empty then, though. There was little water that year, the result of a two-year drought and no snowfall in the mountains. So we found ourselves living on the shore of what was closer to a puddle. I mean, recreation did not suffer much. It was a state park, and they retained enough water to support the natural habitat and enough to allow people to jet ski and boat. Plus, there was more than enough sand for four-wheelers and dune buggies. But the farmers without wells and sprinklers watched their bank accounts roll back and their hollowed cheeks sink deeper. Without water from the canals, only those lucky enough to have tapped into the aquifer could hope to grow anything. In Scottsbluff, the hometown stores and non-corporate businesses slowly went broke and some boarded up their windows. No agriculture, no money. Scottsbluff was a farm town of 14,000 in the middle of the plains. As you leave the town, you see fields, a farmhouse with a barn and some trees set back in a cornfield every mile or so. You might see a white or green tractor out in that field, a farmer working for a little bit of nothing. Out on the lake, full-grown oak and cottonwood trees surrounded the water, hanging their branches over the surface, dropping in leaves when the wind blew right. One of the ancient oaks grew through the center of our wooden deck that ran around that brick and gray-sided building we lived in. Our modest house was well kept by my parents' efforts, something they could more easily control. On most Saturday mornings, my parents doubled their enthusiasm. They were good about that, always wanting to make the most of their time. We went everywhere together, to the park, to the super center, on group outings with my grandmother to the zoo. That day was my deceased grandfather Harry's one-year anniversary, so we were meeting my grandmother and aunt and uncle at the cemetery. Granddad Harry wrote in his will that he wanted to be buried out in the country, somewhere where the light night came from the stars and the moon. He made a living as a banker who loved art and the outdoors when he wasn't pooling people's money. An amateur outdoorsman and painter, he spent his weekends pheasant hunting or fishing, but liked more than anything to hole himself up in his studio with the windows open and a blank easel. He would spend so much time in his studio that grandmother brought him his meals while he painted, wiping his hands off on his apron and washing them in the sink. Granddad painted for himself, and most of the family never knew what he made with his brush. Only grandmother was allowed to peek at his canvas and glimpses she stole when she brought him sandwiches. A small part Native American, Granddad also made it a point to educate himself about the culture of his tribe, but which one he was de descendant of escapes me. He didn't talk much about it with the rest of us. There were feathers and leather vests on the walls of his studio, but without a proper education, I never understood their significance. It was well known in the family that he read about the history of the Native American and left on occasional weekends to practice some of the rituals. With imagined pictures of his guns and feathers on the wall, him standing in front of an easel, I sat in the back seat of our car and shut my door. We hadn't that far to drive to the cemetery. It was down a gravel road about three miles from the lake. We passed a tractor and grain cart on the road, and the man waved with one finger, and my father waved back. At the cemetery on the corner of two dirt roads, the field of gravestones spread out across a flat, green, grassy space, and they were protected by a row of pine trees bordering the field. The graveyard was small half of a football field, and the gravestones were simple slabs of stone not taller than waist high. There were no crypts or walk-in graves. We were the first to arrive, so we parked on the side of the door of the dirt road next to the cemetery and shut our door softly. He was Mom's dad, and we followed her to the gravestone. 
My uncle had plant, planted a sapling next to the plot the week after the burial, so we knew where to go. Mom brought a bouquet of flowers, and she set the vase next to the stone. Carved into the gravestone were his name and date and a picture of a dove, a bird he often painted. A cloud of dust rose in the distance. We knew that it was my grandfather with my uncle and, and my aunt. They parked behind our car. She wept as she walked past us, carrying one red rose, and laid it down across the front of the stone. We were all crying except for my dad, who stood silent, observing. Well, that was really great. I liked it. I encourage everybody to buy that. Yeah. Do you want to plug Thanks. anything? Thanks for doing this. No, I mean, yeah, this book is out. Um, all the books that, that Nate's been putting out on Trident Press have been great. Um, there's also another um, woman that's uh, publishing a book the same day as mine. Uh, her name's Nicole Morning. Um, she's publishing uh, with Trident Press as well. We're, we're sharing a release date. So um, Wait, I haven't read that yet. But it's are you being released? On the 27th of May. Oh, okay. Got you. I believe, unless that's changed, but that's what Nate told me. That's cool. Your book yet, but um, also something that people might want to check out. Mm -hmm. Do you want to tell anybody any social media websites? Yeah, sure. I mean, my website is just my my full name, bartshaneman dot com, and I'm on I'm on all the sites. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. All right. Sounds good. It was great having you on the show. <laughs> Thanks, Mallory. Thanks for doing this. Have really a good appreciate one. appreciate it. No problem. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. I think I can speak for everyone and say that was a most excellent reading by Bart Shaneman. It was rad as fuck to have him on the show, so shouts out. Check him out. If you're interested in his books, hit up Trident Press, and you can follow his Twitter, at Bart Shaneman, and his website is bartshaneman.com. Super easy to remember. As always, if you want to get to know us more, find Textual Healing on Twitter, at PodHealing, and take a look at our website, textualpodcast.com. If you want to be extra supportive, take a look at our Patreon. You can find a link to it on our Twitter page where you can help support textual healing and get some behind-the-scenes content as well. We are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so subscribe, leave us a rating, leave us reviews, leave us some good vibes, please. Check out our past episodes and keep a lookout for the new ones to come. In our next show, I'll be interviewing Joseph Asano about his writing, fascism, and Kurt Godel. I know, it'll definitely be a bit more of an abstract and weirder episode than we usually do. I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for listening.